Hi everyone, it's Joachim Akren, your host of the Elite Game Developers Podcast, a podcast about the entrepreneurs and investors who are building the games companies of the future. This is my seventh Ask Me Anything episode, where I ask listener questions that people have been sending me through a form on the website which you can also do right now by going to EliteGameDevelopers.com slash AskMeAnything, all typed together. In these questions, uh, people ask me a lot of games business-related questions and, and also things that are really tough to just Google up and, and figure out. So I really would like everybody in the audience to think about these questions and just send them over. I'll, I'll happily answer more of these. Before we go to these questions, here's a few words from our sponsors. Are you looking to promote your game with content creators? Maybe you've thought about it, but didn't have the time or budget to try it out. Now with Matchmade Express campaigns, you can easily work with creators on sponsored YouTube videos for $500 per campaign. Matchmade scans a pool of 9.2 million creators to find you relevant fits. Your budget gets allocated to several creators and their content will go live in days instead of weeks. You don't need to worry about negotiating fees or handling the logistics of delivery. The result is authentic creative content that drives genuine engagement. Head on over to matchmade.tv to try it out. And don't forget to mention that Elite Game Developers sent you. Before we go on, I'd like to introduce today's sponsor, GameEye. One of the biggest challenges when making a multiplayer game is what do you do if your game gets a sudden surge of players? What happens when a streamer picks up your game and you get a few thousand, even a few million new players? It all comes down to your servers. There are three major problems that can happen if you get more players than you can handle. First, there's an issue of lag. The game will feel slow for some people to play, making it an unfair game. Second, you can run out of servers completely, leading to long queue times and frustrated players. Third, there's the cost. Even if you use a cloud solution, the costs are going to skyrocket if you're using too many servers. That's where GameEye comes in. They host your multiplayer games without a huge price tag, and they automatically spin up new sessions for you only when you need them. They do this by aggregating the world's best server infrastructure and making it all available through a simple API. By using GameMy, you can simply run your live ops knowing that they can spin up game sessions anywhere in the world and make sure that your players are always put in the best locations. You send them the information and GameEye will find you the best location. GameEye, bringing your players closer together. Check them out at GameEye.com. And don't forget to mention that Elite Game Developers sent you. The first question comes from Rick, who asks, We are building a shooter game 
and we'd like to raise some funding from investors. As an inexperienced team, what can you do to improve the chances of raising funding? Well, Rick, this is a really great question. Uh, I think there's, I, I've, I've talked about this a lot on my content where there is a long tail of startups that never get funded, even though they try to raise. And then there's only like a small percentage who get funding and get to try out building their company by being uh, in, in the mode of using investor money to grow. So here are my suggestions on how you can get better positioned to fundraise. Uh, I understand that not all of these points that I'm, I'm going to be making can be achieved immediately by an inexperienced team, but I think anybody can work towards these points by either bringing in people or getting more knowledge on topics. So first, you've never actually built a shooter game before, right? So have you discussed at bringing in more co-founders who are experienced in shooters? If you don't have people in your own network, what I've often suggested to people is to just cold message other people on LinkedIn who have that experience, then offer them, especially the good ones uh, who are interested and who are thinking about uh, doing their own thing at some point, offer them a co-founder position with equity. And when you finally raise finance, you'd actually start paying a salary. You might feel intimidated to talk with people who are more experienced than you to get them to join. So um, I would still go and try it out uh, and not worry about being like uh, inferior towards them. Uh, the more you talk to these kind of people, the more you learn what they are looking for, the more and, and the more likely it will be that you will actually uh, not worry about being inexperienced. Um, since, since you're going to be picking up so many things when you get going. This is what happened to me with my first startup uh, in 2005. I didn't know anything about building games businesses, but I was just learning as I did stuff, learning through the experience. So don't be too worried about not knowing a lot of things. And second uh, thing that I would advise you to think about to, to raise funding to improve the odds is that if you could already build a prototype that the investors could play, uh, this would help so much in convincing investors that you can actually build a game. It would showcase the quality of your craftsmanship. Um, uh, I would say that through the last few years of myself being an uh, investor in gaming, uh, just to get to play a game from a team will tell me so much about how good the team is. Sort of like what kind of details are they paying attention to? Uh, what is going on in the game? What are they wanting to showcase? Um, so you might, of course, be afraid about showing a game to investors that is rough, that doesn't really like feel yet polished enough. Yeah, I, I, I think it, 
it needs to run well. That's definitely something that needs to work. And it needs to feel sort of like what the final game will have. But I would still say that you only need maybe one level that is good enough, maybe five minutes of gameplay. Uh, and especially on the art side, the, the unit asset store graphics are totally fine. As long as you mention that this art is placeholder, that, hey, we, we built this prototype to actually showcase this and this thing in the game. And like, this is the thing. The investor will be more like... Uh, evaluating you and not the game because the game will reflect on what your thought patterns are what you want to surface in a product why did you build a prototype uh, not just because Joachim told you to but like you want to surface something that is a unique selling point for your game um, things like that and, and finally um, here's a few things that uh, I usually want to see in people's pitch decks. So how much money you are raising and what you will use it for. I think this is key. And often people don't want to talk about that, but it is it is it is important. It's going to show uh, what you are willing to do and like what is the level of uh, investment that you need right now to get things going, to go to the next level. Financing through through investor money is always about like going to the next level and raising again. Uh, what usually happens is that no startup only raises once. It's like 99% of the startups who are successful end up raising again on the next level and on the next level. So then, of course, the quality of the art in a pitch deck, if you are showcasing the game, that needs to look good because it... If you have art there, it should point towards like, this is the visual language that we want to have. Uh, so if, if you still don't have good enough art, I would even consider leaving it out and just saying that in-game uh, current prototype gameplay footage or something like that. And then you can use those Unity assets, store assets. Um, so if I would even like, suggest that you try to to do something good to make your pitch deck look better so you could have an artist go through the deck if you don't have a, a co-founder art director or artist yet uh, i think this is a a good place where you could consider having somebody coming on board who could help with the art and when you're talking to these investors it's always beneficial to spend time talking having a conversation, like not l going through your deck uh, slide by slide for like 45 minutes. That's like insane. Uh, I think you need to think about it as not an application process. Uh, when you're fundraising for investors, you should really think about it more like dating. Uh, so the investors are partnering up with you uh, so you don't want to f come off like being as too needy. Uh, and I think it's really easy to fall for that trap if you're very inexperienced. Like think about dating. When you started dating, it was pretty awkward. But then you got better at it as you did more of it. Um, so I think you should start meeting investors 
and getting rejected, uh, going through that loop because you're going to build up the confidence and the knowledge about what investors are looking at. Uh, and I think that will end up you being in a better place to actually fundraise. Here's a question from Alice. Alice asks, I want to build a Web3 game. What should I do first? What really matters when making a Web3 game? Well, Alice, this is a great question. I, I think there's so many aspects to this question. So let's tackle them in the following order. So the game, the team that builds that game, and then the funding options to actually make everything work. So let's start off with the game. What should the game be like? Um, I think like now at the end of 2021, uh, everything's super early for blockchain gaming and every gaming business out there doing blockchains is basically doing an experiment. Uh, some have a lot of traction, high DAUs and money flowing in and out, uh, but no one knows which ones will be staying at the top for a long time. So I'd study the games that are out there and try to understand why things are working the way they are. Uh, why does the user experience often suck in these games? Can you do anything about that? Uh, how play to earn works? Uh, why does it usually work? How can it fail? How can the developers avoid that kind of failure? You want to start learning by asking these questions and getting answers to these questions to, to build up that knowledge of how to build a blockchain game product. Uh, for, for the technical stuff, uh, I'm sure there's a bunch of guides, guides out there that provide the information on the technicalities of how to build an actual Web3 game. So I would, I would more spend time on the product side because I think the, the technicalities themselves will become a, uh, a commodity uh, at one point or another. So uh, then thinking about outside of the tech, um, like and the whole Web3 stuff that is out there, I would I would really fall back on good old game design uh, thinking here. So in my humble opinion, the, the underlying core of any Web3 game still needs to be a brilliant game, uh, like uh, something that really retains players well. The Web3 games are pretty much like taking a lot of things from free to play, uh, where you want people to spend time, they are services, uh, where people are spending money and time. So I would say like if you lack the know-how of how great games work and how to create these great games, uh, you need to start picking up those skills and you'd want to bring someone on board to help you with that. Um, so this is where we get to the team part. So for the team, you'd want a team who is eager to start exploring Web3. Uh, you don't necessarily need people who believe in a paradigm shift or something. I think it's optimal to have a team who are sort of these explorers who 
are willing to go to the uncharted to see what this web tree is all about so as in any startup uh, I, I think it's key to manage expectations you might not become the next hit web tree game which i think things should be the point here anyways you're explorers looking at what web tree can be for games what is stable what could be sustainable uh, in the future of blockchain in gaming uh, what features of blockchain will benefit players in a way that wasn't available before this technology became available i think that's that's an interesting place and a rabbit hole to go down to um, a few times in the past mo past months of 2021 where we are at the end of the year um, the founders of these new game companies have been asking me if they should be a blockchain games company or a games company with blockchain games so i i think there is a distinction here and, and you want to talk about that with your team uh, especially when you are thinking about the company mission vision purpose to the team so uh, a great book that i i'd really want to recommend to everybody who's thinking about this mission vision purpose is the beyond entrepreneurship 2.0 uh, by jim collins uh, you can use his uh, structure that he talks about in the book to nail down your company foundation when you're thinking about are we a, a blockchain games company or a games company with some blockchain games the key talent that you should have would be the following a cto chief technical officer or tech director title who really wants to dig into the blockchain stuff into the technology uh, You'll be going through a lot of systems and reading up on stuff so the CTO will have their hands full of looking at all the solutions and what makes sense. Then you need to have an owner for the game, kind of like a product person, who can handle both the creative side of making a great game and also what is happening in the blockchain space. And that really boils down to like you actually putting those two together to make a great game which is utilizing the things that the blockchain technology can provide uh, so you'd want both the cto and the game product person uh, to be responsible for building the teams that are needed both on the tech side and the game side to make things happen uh, this includes all the crypto-related stuff, all the plumbing, all the offerings, the tokens, the NFTs, all the smart contracts, whatnot. Uh, they need to be on top of these things. And, and then there's the CEO, the chief executive officer, who should be the facilitator for all of the above mentioned. Uh, this is the person who makes sure that the team has the resources to execute on their ideas. And finally, um, on the team side, something that a lot of people have been talking about is the community of these games, where you, you definitely want to immediately kickstart uh, a community for your blockchain game. 
uh, it's most likely going to make sense to have a dedicated community manager who's on, on top of this thing, uh, who is basically also knowledgeable on all the tech and all the game stuff, uh, sort of like cross-disciplinary communication wizard. Uh, and they're also going to be the glue between the, the teams and the community. I think there's starting to be so much valuable information already online about all this stuff. So I should suggest you take a look at what you need to do by just Googling things out. Uh, also, Twitter is really a great place to find Web3 information uh, as there's so much being shared on that medium. Uh, and for, for the game, talk to people who are building crypto games or have already launched games with blockchain components and features. So as I said before, the games industry is so collegial, so people will be quite open to share stuff. Um, so you can just start cold messaging people over LinkedIn. I think it's worthwhile. Just write really personal messages so that you'll get uh, more likely reply uh, and don't copy paste stuff. And finally, on the funding side, I think there's all the investors are also figuring things things out right now. So once you've gotten to a point where you have a product idea that makes sense, uh, that is interesting, has unique selling points, you figured out what the rest of the, the blockchain gaming space is doing right now and you put together a presentation I, I think it's fine to start reaching out to these investors to to get their feedback uh, and like if they would want to get involved um, so like i would say it's even more uh, suggestible to go and talk with investors more earlier than you would go with a regular game startup that doesn't have web3 in it the next question comes from Schwapnil, who asks, Do you believe that there should be a syndicate of angel investors dedicated to angel early stage investments in gaming, where experienced investors involved could bring in their own deal flow, etc.? Uh, thanks a lot for this question, Schwapnil. Uh, I, th I think it's a really good one to bring up. Um, I'll try to answer your question by first elaborating what angel investors are and then what angel syndicates are. And then I'll talk about the different kinds of angel groups and angel syndicates out there. So first, let's talk about angel investing. An angel investor is an individual who is investing their own money into a company in exchange for shares in the company. That's like 99.9% .9 of the cases. Uh, sometimes uh, they get shares or the investment happens as a convertible loan uh, where the loan will convert to shares at a given point in future, either because of a specific due date for that loan or that the company raises a priced round uh, where these convertible loans are converted into actual shares. 
I have actually an article on my blog about convertible notes and about price rounds, which you can go check out from elitegamedevelopers.com slash blog. There you can find the right articles there. So angel investing is quite simple. You have money that you want to invest into startups and you're looking for an exit in the future where the money comes back to you in 3x, 5x, 10x or even 100x or bigger returns. Um, at the same time, the best angel investors are helping the company to succeed, uh, whether it is, it, it is by assisting them with the game, with hiring, with coaching the CEO, with other team members, uh, helping out with future fundraises, with intros. Uh, I think it's a big list of things that angel investors are actively doing. Also, even though money matters less than the added value that the investor brings, because they know how to make games and games companies, it does matter if you are getting on board an angel investor who has deep pockets or at least has the ability to participate in future fundraising rounds to continue backing the company financially, uh, both in good times and in bad times. I've seen this be so helpful when you have investors who are willing to help you go the extra mile when things aren't going your way. Uh, I've written quite extensively about angel investors on my blog, so you can check up out those pieces as well by going to the blog. So secondly, I wanted to talk about the angel syndicates. Uh, they're basically these organized groups of angel investors who invest together into startups. They might all be investing, let's say, $10,000, as a group of five, six or more people, and they sum up these to, let's say, 100,000 that they're going to invest. Uh, it's great because you get a lot of people to invest and you get a lot of great value out of these people uh, who are usually willing to help, take biweekly calls, uh, spar on ideas, help on hiring, all sorts of things. So. There are a few distinctions with the angel syndicates. Uh, one format where the, there's the syndicate that has an actual owner who scouts for the deals and presents these deals to the group and also does a lot of the admin work. Um, so the other angels in the group are more like these limited partners as, are, uh, as is common in, in, in venture capital funds. Uh, these limited partners have the confidence in the owner uh, to deliver great companies to the group and do all of that work, maybe even in a full-time mode to secure the deals, make them happen, handle the paperwork and add value to the companies on a regular basis after the investment happens. The owner usually receives a portion of the returns uh, which could be 15, 20, 30% of the carried interest. Uh, this is a model that is very similar for how VCs operate, where they, they're full-time doing investing with other people's money, and then they get shares of the profits from these funds. With the syndicate, each member can voluntarily pick the companies that they're going to be participating in versus where in a fund 
usually you don't get to pick as a limited partner. You're just believing in the money manager, the owner, to actually like handle the cash in the best way possible. So uh, Schwapnil, um, your question, I, I think uh, this is where the question really matters as, as the members of the syndicate can participate in deals where their expertise will matter. They can pick the ones that they understand the best regarding the risk, uh, but they also can be more helpful for the founders if they, if they have, for instance, a network of people in this particular space, um, let's say like mobile game studios. The other type of syndicate is more like a partnership where none of the group is an owner but everybody brings in deals to the group and then they work together on those deals. Uh, the admin work usually becomes a lot more lighter because you're not pulling together a bunch of money to be invested. Uh, each group member participates with their own capabilities and using their own time. Uh, I've seen uh, several groups and syndicates out there. Um, some of them are in the UK. Um, I'm also ha heading one angel syndicate with lots of members and deals that we've been doing. Uh, and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing a lot more groups like these forming up in the near future. So regarding like how can you find these angels and these syndicates, I've done actually a separate piece about this topic. Uh, you can go into my blog and find out this by looking for the angel investor topics there um, and, and you'll get more more answers there. The next question comes from Omri. I'm trying to think of late game coin sinks. What kind of systems can work for players who have seen all of the game content and are left with absurd amount of soft coins? Well, this is a really good question, Omri. I've, I've seen this in my career so many times where games end up in the situation where the end game just fails um, because the, the players are just accumulating more resources but don't have any place to put them. So I'll, I'll share a few ways that I've seen work well uh, in these situations. And, and these situations usually have been resolved by making some changes to the game economy. Uh, but yeah, like my favorite feature, uh, just based on getting more sinks to the game uh, with the least amount of uh, coins there, is actually to build a, a kind of like an item shop for the soft currency. Uh, like you've seen those shops where the players can buy items with large amount of coins. The store updates every day, like refreshes in 24 hours or maybe in seven days with new items. And the, the sa same items come up. Um, the reason why I'm talking about the same, same sort of items, at least in the same category of items, is that... Uh, you want to have control over the game economy so that uh, you are having certain set of virtual items being very much available in the game economy, but not bloating the entire economy in an uncontrolled way where people are picking the best items and not buying uh, a 
from a smaller limited set of items that you can control. So these shops only work in games where you have lots of items available. Perhaps it's uh, these RPG games where you have characters that have different kinds of upgrade paths and upgrade items that you're collecting shards for and whatnot. Um, but like if you would be not working on a game with an extensive game economy, then what could you do? So I was thinking about this a bit and uh, I think you can still break up things a bit in your economy to make this work. So if, let's say you have a, a chest or a loot box that you can acquire in the game. Uh, you could build this kind of shard system where you need to collect 10,000 gold shards to to get your hands on a gold chest, like you're getting these small pieces. Uh, and you can start selling these pieces in the shop, meaning that every day the player shows up and picks items from the shop to buy, uh, which then refreshes in 24 hours and you're accumulating more shards, but you're still spending them, uh, collecting them uh, for that chest, which you will get in a week or two and that's a great way to actually like uh, eliminate a lot of the soft currency in the game. So, so some really good uh, examples of these shops are from uh, games like Marvel Contest of Champions um, and then uh, Stranger Things, the Puzzle Quest game, uh, Puzzle Tales actually, and then the, the Walking Dead, No Man's Land. Uh, both, all of these games have really elaborate shops. I think Summoner's War also has a, sh a nice uh, sort of shop. And and the second thing I I'd like to mention is events where players can spend soft currency. So many games do this where they introduce content to the game uh, for a limited time only, and this content is very attractive to buy. So people who've been saving up their currency will rush in to buy the content when the event happens. Um, so these events are particularly meant to, to flush the currency from the players who are hoarding the coins or and don't have anything to spend it on that is meaningful. So you need to note that these events only work if you actually have content that you can offer to the late game players uh, on this limited time basis. Um, as final advice, I would definitely consider to audit your game economy a bit as well. If you have lots of soft currency piling up, but you don't have meaningful things for the players to spend the currency on, uh, the game will continue to suffer. So uh, you've got to be on top of these things to really make the game work. The final question of this episode comes from Jackie, who asks, have you thought about doing another games company ever again? Thanks, Jackie. This is a really fun question to think about. So I actually get this question asked a lot. Uh, I'll answer the question from a perspective that I had when I founded my previous companies and then what things feel like at the end of 2021 now regarding my motivations to start another games company. So when I was starting Iron Star in 2005, my biggest motivation 
was to actually get into the games industry. I really wanted to become an entrepreneur as well. So putting those two things together made a lot of sense. Uh, I was very inexperienced, so it was really tough to learn everything. Uh, but I didn't know about that. Uh, I just really, really wanted to do it. It was a big motivation for me to follow a career into being an entrepreneur and into getting into games. So, yeah. But like eight years later, when I was starting Next Games in 2013, uh, the motivation was around seeing the crazy growth of companies like Supercell and Rovio, me myself being at Supercell at that time, uh, leaving to start Next Games. Um, and also like how my experience from the previous companies that I had left me feeling that I'd been sort of denied the success uh, of an entrepreneur since Ironstar had failed in the end after six years of building the company. So with all the learned skills from Ironstar and from working at Supercell for a year and a half there, I felt that I was ready for another games company the, the motivation was on achieving something that I didn't achieve with Iron Star. Uh, I think I really uh, never had a proper discussion of why I started a games company in the first place. So, like, making games is great, but is that a strong enough purpose to found a company? So perhaps, but wasn't something I was questioning myself enough about. So uh, in recent years, I've become a big fan of Simon Sinek's uh, Start With Why idea, which is all about doing things for a purpose. Uh, he also has this book called Infinite Game, which talks about people embarking on missions not to win, but to stay in the game. Um, because like, I, I think that really reflects well into like the success that people have um, when you've made enough wealth in, in being an entrepreneur. It's not about the wealth creation anymore, but it's about more purposeful things which keep you in the game. Um, to be honest, I'm, I'm not that interested in starting a new games company anymore. <laughs> like thinking about today, what my motivations are. I found a lot of purpose from making elite game developers, helping people and having lots of meaning to work as a person who, who can help founders. All the things related to that work, like investing, are things I don't consider a means to an end, but rather like means to get more involved in companies that I feel where I can make a difference, where I can really help people so that they don't need to struggle uh, through all the things that I learned the hard way with my first company. So I would say that in the grand scale to help uh, these founders and to give that help through the podcast, through the newsletter, through the templates, it really feels meaningful for me, uh, very purposeful as well. Uh, I, I think it's just something that better fits me uh, 
than myself making games. Uh, um, but let's see. <laughs> of course, it, I need to say that never say never. If the, the right thing comes up out of nowhere, um, it might be hard to turn down another games company idea. But it's not something I'm thinking about doing anytime soon. All right, that was the last Ask Me Anything episode for 2021. Uh, I really appreciate people you sending over these questions. Uh, it's been really great to to draft these answers and go through them uh, here with you. Uh, and I, I hope you, you find the time to, to write up some of your questions and send them over to elitegamedevelopers.com slash ask me anything and I'll get those answered in some future episodes. Yeah, that's it for this time. Uh, if you're not yet subscribed to the newsletter, please do so and, and, and join the newsletter that I'm writing every Friday it comes out. Uh, you can go to elitegamedevelopers.com slash newsletter to sign up uh, and you'll get all sorts of cool stuff into your email. Uh, see you next time, people. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.